from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. And we're having a, a knock on wood, a really good year because of the way we're positioned and we still believe that you know for the rest of this year, stocks will probably do a little bit better than bonds as well. And the thing that gets me, we're talking about intermarket analysis. I look at industrial metals, things like aluminum at 10-year highs, copper has been getting, strengthening, nickel, zinc. Historically, those industrial metals, when they outperform precious metals like they've been starting to do recently, that can be a sign that the global economy is improving a little bit and also mean 10-year yields can kind of uh, come along for the ride. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here. And we have Lawrence Gillum joining us again, our local Fed whisperer. Lawrence, we talked a little bit about the long three-day weekend. Um, I smoked some meats, which I'll talk about in a second. Did you get a chance to smoke any meats over the long weekend? I did not, unfortunately. Um, Went up to visit the, uh, you know, my grandfather up in Virginia and had the uh, the grandkids and the grandfather together for the weekend, which was nice. Uh, that's awesome. That, that's great. Yeah, we we just hung out down here south of Charlotte where I live and where you live. You and I are practically, what are we, probably about a mile and a half apart, give or take? Not much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not, not much at all. Um, so anyway, I, I smoked some ribs on Saturday, no, Sunday, on Sunday. And I smoked about a nine-pound pork butt on Monday using my Traeger. Um, Big fan of Traeger, not a recommendation of the stock, but it was it was a lot of fun and both turned out pretty good. Now, Lawrence, speaking of food, you know, last week we did have the discussion about the McDonald's milkshakes, how there was a supply chain issue in the UK. I actually saw, it's not the onion, it's real. The McDonald's McFlurry machine is broken again. Now the FTC is on it. Apparently the FTC is looking in, this is not a joke, is looking into why is the milkshake machine always broken at McDonald's? I'll tell you, they should have done this probably 20 years ago, but it's better late than never. Have you ever run into this issue with a broken milkshake at the, a broken machine at McDonald's before? No, I, and the McFlurry is something that we've gotten, uh, you know, I have, I have two, two kids and they love the McFlurry. It's always been working every time I've, I've been there. Uh, so this is, uh, this is unfortunate. We, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to fix this. <laughs> well, yeah, the FTC apparently is on it, and I'll tell you, I, 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 I've always wondered. Sometimes you go there late at night if it's broken or if it's just a pain to make a milkshake, and they just don't want to do it. But anyway, let's let's move forward, Lawrence. Uh, this week on the LPL Market Signals podcast, we're going to talk about some fun stuff. We're going to talk about last week's uh, big, dis- I guess we'll call it disappointing jobs number. A little bit about the economy. I'm going to hand the reins over to you, Lawrence. Talk a lot about global monetary policy and September is a really big month uh, for some policy meetings. And then we're just going to kind of finish it up. I'm the equity guy. You're the bond guy. Kind of where we see equities the rest of this year, where we see rates and bonds potentially going. We're going to try to do all this in 30 minutes and less, and we'll see if we can do it. So let's just get right into it. Uh, Lawrence, on Friday, we had what we're going to call a big jobs miss. I've got the exact number here in front of me. Um, Expected to come in at 725,000. Start of the week about 750. The actual number came in at 235,000, so ballpark half a million uh, miss. Um, some good news, if you want to call it that, June and July were actually revised higher by 134,000. So potentially we could see some revisions here. But you know, you've had a weekend to think about it. I mean, besides the fact, okay, big miss, what's it mean? I want to ask you, though, what does it mean for Fed policy? We're going to talk about policy with you, you know, later as well. But what does it mean for Fed policy with this big miss we just saw? Take it away, Lawrence. Yeah, no, it was a, a big miss and, and disappointing on a lot of fronts. I think the important thing to, to look at is 
the headline number, I think, masked the more important information. You mentioned the upward revision to the prior months of the 134,000. Uh, we did see a, a drop in the unemployment rate to 5.2%. And then I think importantly, we saw the uh, gain in average hourly earnings creep up. And given the composition of a report where there were virtually no uh, kind of, uh, you know, some of the, the lower paying jobs. So these, these uh, average hourly earnings increase was on the, the higher income scale. Uh, so that tends to be, uh, you know, stickier and, and potentially uh, inflationary. So I think that's that was the key takeaway from the bond market. You know, initially we saw yields move uh, lower, but then that reversed quickly and ended up uh, higher on, on the day on, on Friday. Uh, but as it relates to Fed policy, probably doesn't do much in terms of the timeline for tapering uh, at Jackson Hole. And in the, the July mi uh, minutes, Chair Powell talked about meeting most of the goals for tapering. And the, the, the tapering decisions are independent of that interest rate liftoff. So it probably doesn't do much in terms of, of the time timeline for tapering. We think September uh, announcement is off the table uh, at, at this point. So we're, we're likely to see a, a tapering announcement either in November or December uh, with, with the actual reduction of bond purchases happening uh, shortly thereafter. It likely did impact uh, the interest rate liftoff though. Uh, so I think the markets were expecting early 2023 uh, for when the, the Fed would start to increase interest rates, probably pushes it back a, a couple months. Uh, and that's why we saw the, the back end of the yield curve move a, a bit higher. Uh, when you have you know, the, the, the tightening uh, goals or, or, or tightening plans pushed back a couple months, that means that the potential for higher, higher inflation uh, and, and better growth for, for longer. Uh, so we did see the, the, uh, the yield curve uh, steepen a bit on Friday. Uh, great stuff there. Again, I, what caught my attention, like you said, was, hey, 10-year yield, it dropped initially, but then by end of the day on Friday, the 10-year yield was up a little bit. As you and I record this on Tuesday morning, 10-year yield's up about four basis points, which is a pretty big size move um, so as people had a little bit more time to think about it. So the bond market, you know, if it was a pure risk-off day, I would assume yields would go lower. That was not the case. So the bond market doesn't seem to be too worried about this one piece of weak economic data. Some other things that caught my attention, construction jobs are actually down. Virtually nobody expected that. And leisure and hospitality were flat. I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, the Delta variant is clearly out there. We're going to talk more about some of the other economic data we've been seeing very, very soon, literally the next slide. Um, but the truth is some of these concerns are there. And are we having a near-term hiccup in the economy? Yes. Is the economy just slamming on the brakes? We'd say no. You know, we still saw 235,000 jobs created. I mean, now we're still, I think, about five and a half million away from pre-COVID levels. So we still got a long way to go. But what has the Fed said? And Lawrence, you've, you've said it many times here. Until the employment picture really starts to improve, they're going to keep rates low and continue to be more of a tailwind. And, and it's almost like a bad news is good news type of world where we came, came in on Friday and had that weak jobs number, but the market digested it perfectly fine and, and yields actually went a little bit higher. So Lawrence, let's go forward. Some of the other economic data that we've been seeing. Um, you know, we had last week, the ISM manufacturing number came in a little bit better than expected, close to 60. But what was interesting when you peel back the onion, as Jeff Bookbinder likes to say, the employment index was actually the lowest number it had been since November 2020. Last week, the ADP report came out, oh, I guess on Wednesday or so before the actual jobs number on Friday, way weaker than expected. Consumer confidence a week ago today, last Tuesday, came in one of the largest monthly drops we've ever seen. 
ISM services. Um, it was coming off an all-time record, but it came in lower than expected. So you put all this together, we're still seeing some decent numbers, but clearly a little bit weaker than expected. And it does appear there's some uh, economic lull, I guess we'll say, taking place. So that big jobs miss, I'd say probably, yeah, it was surprising to miss by that much. Maybe you'd say 400, 500,000 or so would have been a logical number, but I don't think it was a total surprise we missed by that much. I mean, Lawrence, you follow the data closer than I do, to be honest. What's your take on some of the recent economic data and kind of what it means? Yeah, I think what it really means is that the, the Delta variant is impacting certainly consumer confidence. Uh, we're seeing consumers potentially pull back on some of the uh, you know, going out to dinner or, or some of these services uh, purchases, and, and, and we're seeing um, you know higher than kind of expected maybe inflationary numbers too, uh, which is impacting consumer confidence. So uh, we think a lot of this stuff is, is temporary, as you mentioned, Ryan. You know, we probably doesn't uh, mean that we're going to slam on the brakes you know, this year or, or next year, or certainly not calling for a recession anytime soon. Uh, but I think it, you know, it maybe slows down growth a, a touch, maybe this quarter, next quarter. Uh, but then because a lot of this, this, uh, a lot of these factors are, are, you know, we think are temporary you know, we'll, we'll see that growth pick up again uh, after the Delta variant has waned and, and after some of these uh, supply chain issues are, are worked through and, and some of these higher inflation uh, numbers come back to more trend-like levels. Dare I say this weakening economic data is transitory, <laughs> given that's the word we've all used. The other one that got me last week, the market, I always like to say this, market with an I, PMI missed and came in at a four-month low. Again, that's just piling on. Our friends at Morgan Stanley cut their third quarter GDP. I think I saw Goldman just cut their third quarter GDP. Not surprisingly, again, the economic data is suggesting a little bit weaker. If you remember, though, oh, we'll say three or four months ago here at LPL Research, you know, we said we saw uh, the full year GDP about six and a half, maybe 7%. There are a lot of our peers and competitors talking about eight, nine, 10% GDP. We said, ah, we're just not sure if we're going to quite see that much. Now it's looking like people got a little too rosy-eyed there, um, had a little too much fun at the cocktail party with some of their earlier stances, and now it's probably going to come in, it being GDP for the year, probably a little bit lower, which is where we were um, you know, for, for the majority of the time. So we still think any kind of weakness in the third quarter likely will just be um, made up in the fourth quarter, at least as of now. So good discussion there. Lawrence, last week we did talk a little bit about Warren Buffett. Um, it was his birthday, and I had some positive comments from, from a lot of you, and you threw some of your uh, – we threw a couple quotes out, and I just want to read some of the other quotes that some of you, our listeners, to the uh, LPL Market Signals podcast sent me. And by the way, I want to thank everyone to continue to listen to this. I think this is like our 149th uh, podcast since we started this exactly three years ago. Um, so we'll maybe do a little something special on the 150th. Um, but still, thank you to people who continue to listen to it. We're nearing, I think, a half million downloads since we started it. We've got a ton of five-star reviews. If you want to help us, give us a five-star review. Give us a like. Give us a follow. It goes a long way. Um, so here is just some off-the-cuff Warren Buffett quotes that some of you guys sent in to us uh, for some of your favorite quotes. I did mention this one last week, but it's not necessary to do extraordinary things to get extraordinary results. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. Predicting rain doesn't count, building the arc does. Every decade or so, cl dark clouds will fill the economic skies and they will briefly rain gold. When downpours of that sort occur, reach for a bucket. And I remember exactly mentioning that one last March of 2020, actually. 
Uh, what we learn from history is that people don't learn from history. Lawrence's favorite here. It's only when the tide goes out that you discover who's been swimming naked. Uh, this is one of my favorites. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. Common one we've all seen. In the short term, the market is a popularity contest. In the long term, the market is a weighing machine. Diversification is a protection against ignorance. It makes very little sense for those who know what they're doing. Um, let's see here. Praised by name, criticized by category. My personal favorite. I checked the actuarial tables. The lowest death rate is among six-year-olds, so I decided to eat like a six-year-old. The stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. Um, never invest in a business you cannot understand. Almost done, I swear. Our, this is a funny one. Our favorite holding period is forever. And let's see, the last one here, I guess we'll say, if pa oh, this is not a good one. This is typical Warren Buffett here. We'll end with this one, cherry on top. If past history was all that is needed to play the game of money, the richest people would be librarians. So anyway, so thank you to a lot of you for sending those quotes. I mean, there's so many Warren Buffett quotes. They're all awesome. Big fan of Warren, obviously. Um, so anyway, so happy birthday again to him a week, uh, I guess I say a week late. We weren't late. We mentioned happy birthday last week to him. So uh, anyway, so that's a nice little segue. I'm not sure what Lauren, Lauren, I just combined Lawrence and Warren. I don't know. Lauren, I don't, I guess is that Lauren? I don't know. Anyway, I'm combining the two of you. I don't know what Warren would think about central bank policy and the uniqueness that we're seeing. But I know Lawrence, you have an opinion. You're going to talk a little bit about this next four or five minutes or so. Central banks remain extremely accommodative. By the time everyone listens to this podcast, go to lplresearch.com. Uh, there should be probably going to be the top blog on there. Lawrence has got a blog talking about, you know, monetary policy from a uh, global point of view. Lawrence, take it away. What are you seeing with central banks out there? Yeah, that's right. Thanks. Thanks, Ronnie. We, we talk a lot, a lot about the Fed, uh, but uh, and, and the Fed's reaction to COVID-19 pandemic uh, and, and the, the unprecedented shock to the large majority of There wasn't just a Fed reaction. We saw uh, extraordinary global monetary the Federal Reserve, the ECB, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, and the Bank of England. As seen on, on the, the chart here for uh, for those watching uh, this uh, Market Signals podcast, uh, we have a $10 trillion increase in the size of, of central bank's balance sheets since the pandemic began. Uh, so if you add up the Federal Reserve uh, balance sheets, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, and the Bank of England, uh, balance sheets for those four central banks are at $25 trillion. So uh, monetary policy has remained accommodative globally. Uh, and, and you know we think that's gonna continue uh, at least over the, the near term. You know, we, we do think that we're past a lot of the, the peak of the pandemic, not, uh, not uh, withstanding some of the, the, the resurgence in, in the Delta variant, but we do think monetary accommodation is going to start to be pulled back in the coming years as the, uh, the global economies uh, continue to recover. So just maybe a, a quick, uh, look at some of the statistics as it relates to the increase in, in bank, central bank balance sheets. Again, we talk about the Fed a lot. The Fed is uh, currently purchasing, purchasing $120 billion a month of tre uh, treasury and agency mortgage-backed securities. And these purchases have grown the bank's balance sheet by more than 80%. The ECB, which meets this week uh, and is an important meeting for the ECB, which we'll talk about in just a second, uh, they're, they're buying bonds under its $1.85 trillion 
Euro uh, Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, uh, and they, uh, the ECB has grown its balance sheet by more than 80% since the uh, pandemic began. The Bank of Japan uh, has increased its balance sheet by roughly 25% since the beginning of the, of the uh, pandemic. Uh, they're purchasing about 80 trillion yen uh, uh, annually to, uh, to, to support the, the Japanese government bond market. And then finally, the, the Bank of England, they put in place an 875 billion pounds program, uh, and they've grown uh, their balance sheet by more than 90% uh, since the beginning of, of the pandemic. So certainly a lot of monetary support uh, supporting the economic damage from, from the pandemic. We don't think this is going to go on uh, forever for, for most markets, for most central banks. Um, so what's likely to happen next? We talked a little bit about this just uh, a minute ago. Uh, as it relates to tapering, the Fed will likely uh, start to taper its bond purchases either late this year or early next year. Uh, so the next meeting is on September 21st and 22nd, so we'll get additional details uh, that month. We don't expect the, the tapering announcement to happen that month That month at that meeting, but we do think we'll get additional details. For the ECB, for that pan, uh, pandemic uh, emergency purchase program, that's due to run until at least uh, March, 20, uh, 20, March 2022, but uh, they've seen inflation readings and, and growth, uh, growth readings higher than expected, so a lot of the hawks over there are talking about the need to taper bond purchases sooner rather than later. Uh, that the ECB may start to taper purchases before the Fed uh, is something I was not expecting and something that um, I think markets aren't expecting or weren't expecting. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing bond yields globally uh, move higher. The Bank of Japan, you know, they're in a, a, a different situation. Uh, the Bank of Japan doesn't expect inflation to reach its 2% target until 2024 at the earliest. Uh, so they'll likely continue to provide that easy monetary policy um, certainly after all the other advanced economies start to reverse course. Um, they, they meet on September 22nd, uh, but no expected changes to the, um, the monetary accommodation at that, at that meeting. Bank of it, uh, England is in a different situation, a different spot than a lot of other advanced economies. Uh, they've stated recently that mo uh, some modest tightening is likely to, to be necessary over the next couple of years. Uh, so the Bank of England is, is likely to start to increase interest rates next year. Uh, so we'll, we'll see that... Um, um, we'll get more details on that on in September 23 or on September 23rd. So, uh, as as Ryan mentioned, September is a big month uh, for the future of, of monetary accommodation. Uh, it should be noted, though, that um, you know as these central banks start to taper, that does not mean uh, tightening. You know, gently taking your foot off the accelerator is different from applying the, the the brakes. So, we still expect monetary policy to be supportive uh, for the foreseeable future. All right. Great stuff there, Lawrence. I mean, no doubt. I think that's you summarize it best, right? I mean, some of the recent economic data has been a little bit on the weak side. Maybe some of the record monetary policy we've been seeing over the past 18 months is going to start to go away. But you're just kind of taking your foot off the gas and going to coast for a little bit. So it's still a pretty good, pretty good sized tailwind when you're going like 150 miles an hour, you take your foot off, off the gas, you're still moving pretty fast. Um, so, you know, a little bit, let's move forward here in one second. I just want to make sure I, I understand this correctly, Lawrence. So the Fed has a big Fed, they're all big, right? Has a big Fed meeting later this month in September, which is a big month for other central banks as well. After that week, job number. Uh, jobs number on Friday. Do you anticipate them announcing the start of tapering, or when do you see the announcement of the start? Even they have to announce it before they even start it, right? When do you right. think it's going to happen? Did we push it back after the week jobs number? It's not going to be September anymore. 
Yeah, I, I think we did. We certainly did push it back, Ryan. The um, I, I think there were some some folks out there were expecting September to be the uh, the, the meeting that, that the Fed announces their plans to to reduce bond purchases. I think after that that uh, weak jobs report on Friday, that's that's been pushed back. November December is is probably more likely uh, in terms of a uh, a taper announcement, uh, but that could move into uh, early next year, depending on the the next couple months of. of uh, you know, the, the, the data as it relates to the job market. All right. No, absolutely. I mean, the Chairman Powell has made it very clear that until the jobs market comes back and really sees improvement, uh, the Fed is going to continue to give this record monetary policy. And, you know, we're still well over 5 million jobs away from just being pre-pandemic levels. I've mentioned this many times before. You look back at previous recessions, it's taken about four years on average for all the jobs that were lost to be made up. So, you know, these 5 million jobs, it might take a while still to, before we make that up. That doesn't mean, you know, they're gonna start tapering sometime next year. We think that's fully the case, but just the idea that, okay, jobs are kind of being frustrating. It's taken a while to make up all those jobs. Just be aware historically, that's usually what happens. But Lawrence, the other thing is it is September, which is the 20 year anniversary of obviously 9-11. So our thoughts go out to obviously the millions of people, everyone's been impacted one way or another, but the millions of people impacted by 9-11. Um, you know, like a lot of people, there's lot, all these different shows for the 20th anniversary. There's one on National Geographic. My wife's watching every time I walk by the room, she's crying and she's watching it because it's just so emotional. Um, you know, it's, it's something I started watching the one on Netflix. There's one on HBO as well. I think it's just kind of Oh, it's historical, but important to just kind of remember, you know, um, what what happened. So we don't don't have obviously something like that happen again. But there's just some really neat shows, and Netflix one is pretty powerful. Lawrence, where were you on 9/11? Everyone kind of, you know, you always have that. I, I wasn't alive when JFK was shot. Everyone knows that, but everyone, for the most part, listening to this podcast might remember where they were on 9/11, assuming you were born yet. Um, where were you? Yep, I was at I was at work. Uh, I was at uh, my a previous firm, and you know, I was in the the financial industry at that point and when we saw it come on you know and the, the news broadcast about the you know the planes hitting the world trade center it was I mean, as, as you mentioned it's one of those things that you, you never forget um and it was one of the, the darkest days uh, here in, in american history just to see kind of the you know those towers come down and and, and all the people that were inside the towers at, at the same time um you know losing their lives but obviously one of the things to remember too is just the heroic effort by a lot of folks that day that rushed into the tower to try to save people. I think that, you know, that that defines the American spirit in a lot of ways. And, and I think that, um, you know, is, is is a good memory to have uh, relative to kind of, you know, the, the, the darker memories that there are also out there. But, oh, um, absolutely. You know, in, times of, in times of issue like this, Americans, they can, we, can, we can work together despite our political objections. That's true. That's one thing I was thinking too, how divided we are. It's like, well, you know, uh, that, that that brought people together, and, and rightfully so. Also, of course, lost m many, many lives at the Pentagon and Flight 93 that went down that was expected to go, again, I believe I was supposed to go toward Washington. That flight went down due to some very courageous people as well. Had a couple of college roommates in the, I guess it was the second building that was hit. Fortunately, they got out and they were fine. They were at Morgan Stanley at the time doing their you know, broker, you know, welcome to being a broker world. <laughs> and they got out. I was uh, laying on my parent. I was a bum. I, I just graduated from college a couple months before. I hadn't had a job yet. So it's kind of, you know, just <laughs> laying around. I just remember waking up on, well, I guess I was already awake watching TV, watching it from my parents' house. Like you said, it's something you don't ever forget. So everybody check out one of these interesting, really cool 
cool might, cool might be a strong way to put it, but really informative documentaries that explains kind of, you know, what happened and, you know, to relive it. it, it, it it's very tough, obviously, but at the same time, I think it's important to, uh, to do that. So there's no easy way to transition at all from that, but um, we're going to do our very best. We've got a couple more minutes to go here. We'll talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, how are we doing time-wise, Lawrence? Lawrence and I have a meeting in like eight minutes. We're going to try and wrap this up in eight minutes if we can. Um, maybe let's wrap it up in six minutes, give us time to go to the next floor and get to the meeting. Um, so I'll talk about stocks. Lawrence, talk about bonds here, um, or yields at least. So, so, you know, historically, you can see here on the screen, if you're watching along with YouTube, what happens when you have a really good start to a year. Um, looking at the 10 best starts a year ever at the end of August, this one ranks currently as the sixth, or well, it is officially the sixth best start to a year. September, you've uh, 87, 75, and 89 all were really even better starts to year than these. September was negative. Hey, up a lot, maybe you'll pull back. Um, but the full year, I'm sorry, the rest of the year, the, so the final four months is higher eight out of 10 times, up about 4% on average with a median of 5.7%. That average is, is weak because obviously 1987, Stocks were down about 25% the final four months. That rubber band was stretched awfully, awfully far, though, up about 36% for the year at the end of August versus up about 20% or so uh, this year. So th this is just one way to show up. But if you listen to Market Signals podcasts um, for, for a while now, hopefully you have, we've been saying some of the same things, that this type of strength historically tends to resolve higher after more than 100% rally off the lows. Can we be due for an 8 4 to 8% correction? You better believe it. I mean, you know, that mean it has to happen, but that'd be perfectly normal and potentially be a buying opportunity um, from an investments point of view. And where do we still like? We still like the cyclical value. We like financials. We like materials. We like industrials. Technology, we're more neutral weight on. Don't have a problem with tech. We're more neutral there. And again, you talk about the yields and yield curve starting to steepen. Yields finally going higher. 10-year yield might have bottomed, did a double bottom at 112 recently, up about 137 or so as we speak. That's a tailwind for financials. So those are the areas that we continue to think should do a little bit better. The rest of this year from an equities point of view. Lawrence, let's wrap it up. You are the fixed income strategist on the LPL Research uh, team. I've got the 10-year here. You can talk about the 10-year or where you'd invest uh, for the rest of the year, however you want to take it for a couple minutes here. Yep. So for, for uh, yields, we, we do think that they can move higher from, from current levels, given you know the, the growth and inflation expectations that we have throughout the rest of this year and, and next year. Uh, we do think yields move higher. Uh, we could get into that 175% uh, range by year end. A lot of that, though, depends on what happens globally. You know, as we've talked about uh, in, in other avenues, the bond markets are global. So as uh, interest rates globally have moved higher, we've seen the 10-year Treasury yield move higher as well. Uh, with the ECB meeting this week and the potential of, a, of an announcement of a reduction of their bond purchases, we could see German bond yields move higher as well. And that likely translates into our yields. Because remember, you know, as, as, as I just mentioned, bond markets are global. Uh, so if, if you have the choice to invest in a negative yielding bond versus, uh, you know, a 10-year treasury yield at uh, 137, you're going to pick the, presumably pick the 137 over the negative yielding bond every, time, every day. So as these negative uh, yielding bonds, uh, as their yields move higher, uh, that makes our market less attractive, uh, which would put uh, upward pressure on yields as well. So we do think they go higher from here. Not too much. Uh, higher as mentioned, but we could get into that 175% range uh, by the end of this year. And what that means for investing, we think just taking a, a, a little a little uh, interest rate risk off the table, you know, invest in things like mortgage-backed securities that have uh, a, a touch less interest rate risk than say high-grade corporates, which are very interest rate sensitive. 
Uh, we still like uh, investment grade corporates, but maybe uh, targeting the you know the, the three to five year uh, part of the curve makes a lot more sense than owning you know longer uh, maturity, longer dated uh, investment grade securities. So we just think that taking a, a, a bit more of a defensive approach as it relates to interest rate sensitivity makes uh, makes a lot of sense at this point. Uh, great stuff there, Lawrence. You know, one of our big calls coming into this year, if you listen to this podcast for a while and follow us here at LPL Research, we said, listen, stocks are going to do a lot better than bonds. Well, S&P's a ballpark 20% for the year. Most bonds are flat to up a little bit. Um, there's different areas of bond market, I'm fully aware. But for the most part, stocks have obviously outperformed bonds. So we we run models. We run money for more than 19,000 advisors. And we're having a well, knock on wood, a really good year because of the way we're positioned. And we still believe that, you know, for the rest of this year, stocks will probably do a little bit better than bonds as well. And the thing that gets me, we're talking about intermarket analysis. I look at industrial metals, things like aluminum at 10-year highs, copper has been strengthening, nickel, zinc. Historically, those industrial metals, when they outperform precious metals like they've been starting to do recently, that can be a sign that the global economy is improving a little bit and also mean 10-year yields can kind of... Uh, come along for the ride, I guess would say. So that is another reason that I, I believe we'll have a higher 10-year yield when all is said and done before the end of this year. Some of the strength we're seeing from industrial metals. And also, you come in this morning and see coppers, nickel, zinc, aluminum, all that stuff flying. It has been strong last week too. Again, that's the market's way of saying, well, the jobs number might be weak, but if we were really worried about the overall economic uh, recovery, I think those areas would be weaker. Uh, so you have to listen. Again, it's called market signals for a reason. We're listening for the signals of the market. Those industrial metals are saying higher yields and likely still a pretty decent economy when all is said and done. So Lawrence, thank you as always for joining. I will say next week, I'm in, where am I? I'm in Florida. I'm in Florida. You're old neck of the woods. I mean, I'm actually in Tampa. I'm going to St. Pete, uh, St. Pete Beach uh, for an event. You're your old neck of the woods. So I've got an event next week. So I will not be on the podcast. I know Jeff will be back. We'll see who will who will join. Lawrence, it might be you. It might be Mark. Who knows? We'll, we'll see who's going to join. It won't be me. <laughs> But I'm working on my tan down in Florida. I won't be working on my tan. I'm so pasty. I'm not, I'm not even worth trying. Um, but everybody, thanks again for uh, joining us and listening to this podcast. Lawrence, thanks uh, again for everything you mentioned here. And thank you to Neil, our producer, for getting this thing out there. As always, he does a better job than anybody else I know. So with all that, everyone, thank you for uh, everything. And we'll be back next week. And I'll be back in two weeks. How's that? And good luck with your fantasy football drafts. By now, you probably all had them. But um, it's important. It's That's the other thing about September, fantasy football draft season, right? We'll see everybody later. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliate.
candidates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations and may lose value.